We are in First Peter. There should be an outline on the table in front of you, a pen if you don't have your own. And, of course, uh, we don't provide the scriptures, but hope you brought your own uh, paper copy or electronic, one or the other. It is good to see you. Hope that you're enjoying these summer days. And so today we're in chapter 3. If you'll go ahead and open your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3. We are looking at the section entitled, How to Live in a Pagan World, 1st Century and 21st Century. And today we're continuing that. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer and then pick up where we left off last week. Good to see you. Father, thank you for the beauty of the day and the joy of fellowship. Thank you for the good food and use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. Uh, We look forward to our times together. It's good to laugh and to share with one another at the table. And then it's uh, good to dig into your word. And we ask that you speak to us today from 1 Peter Thank you for what we've learned and how you've spoken to our hearts, and we pray you'll continue to do that on this day. Thank you for all who've come. Bless each one. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, as we, in our outline, talked about how to live in a pagan world, first century and 21st century, let me just review what we looked at last week. Peter reminds the suffering Christians, remember, This epistle is written to uh, suffering believers, suffering first century believers. And he reminds those believers of something we need to remember, and that's you're not home yet. You're not home yet. This is not your home, not your final home. Your final home is in heaven. So be encouraged. Look up. This is not, you're not home yet. The second thing is, the encouragement to live right in the face of all that we encounter today and what they encountered in the first century. Peter says, live right, do the right thing. Then thirdly, Peter reminds us to submit to those who are in authority over us, whatever that situation may be, submit to those in authority. And we're reminded that when he talked about governmental authority, that uh, he was talking directly about the emperor whose name was Nero. And so we made the observation that he was asking his people to live the right way before a godless man like Nero. So we're reminded to submit to those who are in authority over us. And then he had some direct words to slaves and sufferers, and he simply said, take heart. God has not forgotten you. He knows your name. He knows exactly where you are. He knows everything that you are experiencing. He is with you. Uh, Take heart. He will see you through. And everything's going to change. Changes are coming. Just be patient and and wait on the Lord. So today we get to chapter 3, and we continue that same theme of how to live in a pagan world, 1st century and 21st century. And we'll notice immediately that in the... Uh, first seven verses of, of chapter three, he is addressing uh, wives and husbands, addressing marital relationships. Now, Peter uh, is, is, as far as con- the, the length of content, is just the opposite of Paul. Um, Peter has a whole lot more words addressed to wives than he does to husbands, whereas Paul writes more to husbands than he does to wives, but when you put it all together in balance, 
I think we've all got all we can handle. So, uh, yeah. So if you're a, a, a woman and you, and you have a little problem with anything Peter writes, then take it up with him when you see him. And if you're a man and you've got issues with uh, Paul, then you could do the same thing. Assuming that you're going to end up in the same place. I'm just saying, I hope, I hope that's the truth. All right, so let's look at the first seven verses of 1 Peter 3 and see what he says. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Now, nobody needs to start taking off your earrings, okay? Don't, don't worry about it. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So let's uh, see if we can get our arms and minds and hearts around these first seven verses. The force of verses 1 and 2 should not be lost on us. Many men entering heaven will owe their very salvation to the faithfulness of a godly wife, perhaps including some of you. You did not know Jesus until you began to go out with the woman you married, or maybe even after marriage, but it was because of her faithfulness, her witness, her consistency that you are now a Christian, that you are now a believer. So not only will you be grateful to Jesus for his death on the cross, but you'll be grateful to your wife for the witness she gave and the example that she set when you enter into into glory. Now, for some who look at this text, it, it may at first blush appear to be a bit painful due to abuse or mistreatment or things that have gone on in in your home in the past or, or God forbid, even in the present. So here, just by so we'll understand this passage, here's what Peter does not mean for a Christian wife. He does not mean that if your husband asks you to abandon your faith in Christ, that you should do so. He, he does not mean that. He does not mean that if your husband asks you to sin, that you should do so. Peter does not mean that. He does not mean that you should, that you must always agree with your husband and, and uh, that you dare not express a contrary Opinion. It does not mean that if he is unfaithful, you are left without any biblical recourse. Does not mean that. 
And it does not mean that if he abuses you physically or abandons you or verbally, continuously humiliates you that you have to remain quietly and accept his cruelty. That is not what Peter means. Peter is expressing principles without trying to answer everyone's question or try to address everyone's, well, what about this, what about that, everyone's particular case. What he is suggesting for the Christian wife is submission to her godly husband. Now, what does that mean? Well, we see the same principle in chapter 2, verse 13, when Peter says to all believers, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it's the emperor as the supreme authority or governors, and, and we just addressed that briefly a moment ago. Remember, he is addressing this issue, the behavior of a Christian in a pagan world. That's the issue he's addressing, the behavior of a Christian in a pagan world. So how is a Christian wife and husband to relate to one another in a Christian world, in a pagan world? He writes of submission before those in authority, whether it be uh, a slavery situation or an employer or here in, in marriage. And the principle of submission directly relates to the example and person of Jesus. Let me point you back to chapter 2, verse 21. To this you were called because... To what were we called? Submission to those in authority. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That verse is the key, the linchpin to this entire passage, chapter 2 and chapter 3. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So... We are to present ourselves before a watching world as a people who emulate Jesus. That's the bottom line. We are to present ourselves before a watching world as a people who emulate Jesus. And in so doing, we present a picture of a vibrant hope, a dynamic hope. He addresses the issue with... uh, Wives of outward adornment in verse 3. Now, contextually in that day, uh, pagan women um, adorned themselves with all kinds of, uh, uh, of jewelry and um, the more the better, the gaudier the better. The more attention-grabbing, the better. That was the culture of the day and a, a sign of a pagan woman and often the sign of a prostitute pagan woman was how much she could adorn herself uh, 
outwardly. And Peter says to the Christian women, you don't want to dress in such a way that anybody thinks you are one of them. Your witness is very important. You do not want to look like one of them. Now, women in the first century, and see if this sounds familiar, women in the first century were under enormous pressure to look beautiful. Enormous pressure. Peter wants Christian women to not be overly concerned about outward beauty. Now, he's not saying be as ugly as you can. But he is being very careful to say your major concern is not your outward beauty, but it is your inner beauty, your inner spirit, your relationship with Christ, your fellowship of Christ. So his concern is one of emphasis, not saying you can't wear any jewelry, but saying don't dress in such a way that you look like the pagans or don't be more concerned about your outward appearance than you are with your inward appearance. And, and I would suggest today that there is, there is an oppressive pressure on particularly younger women um, with the outward appearance. I mean, you see it on television, in the movies, you see it all over the place. You, you can't, you can't miss it. I deal with that subject in my premarital counseling when I will address the, the, the issue of beauty for both, you know, her looking at him as a handsome dude and her looking at him looking at her as a beautiful woman. And I will compliment them, say, I know you're, you, you're so thankful God's put you together with somebody that's a, you know, good looking lady or good looking man, all that. But I say, you, you're going to be married 50, 60 years and you're going to change. I, I don't care what you do, you're going to change. You can go to the gym 365 days a year and you're still going to change. You're going to change. So if your primary emphasis is on the outward appearance of your mate, you're in trouble. Now, if God's given you a beautiful wife, just say, thank you, Lord, for the bonus. But it is her inner beauty that is most important. And same for the man. And so Peter is addressing that and saying it's not the outward appearance that gets the emphasis. It's the inner beauty of the woman and, of course, the same of the man. So verse 4, he talks about that inward appearance. We are to put on the clothing of Christ. That's the most important clothing that we wear. He's pointing to the soul And he encourages Christian wives to have a gentle and a quiet spirit, which would have been the exact opposite of most pagan women who were not that way. And he gives an illustration, a biblical illustration, of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Uh, Now, Sarah was not a wallflower, nor was she a doormat. If you've read Genesis, you know that. She was not a weak woman. She was real, and she was strong. And Scripture here portrays her life as precious and beautiful. So read Genesis. She could handle herself with Abraham. She she knew what to do. 
but she lived out God's principle of submission to the one that God had placed in her life as her husband. In fact, in Genesis chapter 18, she calls him Lord. Now, that is relating what she said. It's not a command, ladies, that you call your husband Lord. Um, I'm going to guess that um, you're good, you're happy about that. But but let me let me just point out what happened in Genesis chapter 18. You know the three visitors, the three uh, angelic beings. We think came to Abraham, and so we get to verse nine of chapter 18, and they say, "Where's your wife, Sarah?" And he said, there in the tent. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, you remember, we did Genesis last, didn't we? Last book we did. So Abraham and Sarah are both well beyond childbearing age. Not just a little beyond, way beyond childbearing age. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out, and my Lord, she's talking about Abraham, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. The rest is history. We followed all that all the way uh, through the book of Genesis. So Peter holds Sarah up as a biblical example of what a Christian wife should be, how she should relate to her husband. Um. We saw in that relationship a humble spirit on the part of, of Sarah. But here is really the bottom line on that trusting spirit. When Sarah trusted Abraham, she was really trusting God. Because God is the one who put Abraham in that husband position in her life. So a woman who honors God honors the one who can be trusted. Now, let me take you to Proverbs 31. You know, the sad part of Proverbs 31 is is about the only two times you ever hear it is either Mother's Day or a funeral. And Proverbs 31 is a great text. You know, it talks about a woman of noble character. But let me read a few of those verses. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come, meaning she's not worried about the future. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed or blessed and her husband also and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Sounds like what Peter was saying. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. 
Now, uh, men, a wife who calls on the Lord and, and is as strong as what Peter speaks of deserves your praise, your devotion, your care, your love, and your honor. And that's what he gets to in verse 7 when he says to the men, be considerate, not obstinate, not bullheaded, not it's always going to be my way. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, not talking weaker mentally, spiritually. He's speaking of generally physically, the weaker vessel, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Did you notice that last phrase? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, if you hit on a dry spell in your prayer life and you feel like God's not listening to me, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, a possible moment for self-examination is to say, could it be that I'm not treating my wife the way I should? Now, that may not be the case, but it's because of the text, it's worth a little examination. And, and you might say, yeah, I hadn't been very easy to get along with lately. I've been pretty harsh, and maybe that's why your prayers are being hindered. So a little, little self-examination invitation right there. Our wives, husbands, our wives deserve our best. She is your fellow heir in Christ, and you want to treat her well for every reason, your witness, but also so your prayers won't be hindered. So in verses 1 through 7, he talks about submission. Uh, women, um, to focus not on the externals, but on the internal and her reward, um, threefold. Her reward, first of all, the salvation of her husband, possibly the salvation of her husband. Secondly, her preciousness to God. And third, her reward for trusting God. Now, men, live a godly life at home and honor your wife. And it is a lot more likely your prayers will be answered if you live that way. So right here in the middle of um, words to suffering people, Peter talks about husband-wife relationship. Isn't that interesting? The reason he does it is to bring comfort and encouragement to a suffering people, but to remind them that as you live in a pagan world, your witness, your witness at home is very, very important. If you want the pagans around you to be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they need to see your home as very different and distinctive from theirs. And if they don't see that, then probably we're not going to get to first base in reaching them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Our home life is very, very important. Now, we come to verse 8, and we find some words that encourage. I want to read verses 8 through 17, and then we'll get started talking about them. Verse 8. Finally, I don't know why he put that there. 
He's not, he's got two more chapters to go after we get through chapter three. But, you know, I've probably done that. Last thing, and 20 minutes later. Okay. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their uh, to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. You know, when I think of that verse about um, suffering for doing right, I remember in Acts, and somebody can help me with the chapter, but it's when the disciples had been um, had been beaten and punished for the proclamation of the gospel and as they as they left the place of punishment they celebrated they rejoiced they were rejoicing that they were considered worthy to be lashed in the back like Jesus woo man alive um, you know I can be a big baby with the best of them I don't know could you or I react like they did? I, I guess you you can make all kinds of guesses, but you really don't know until you're there, and we don't want to be there. But I, I'm so admiring of those disciples for for suffering and walking away rejoicing that they were considered worthy of suffering. Well, I digress. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I love this verse. But do this with gentleness and, and respect. Um, I told you, I don't know if it was in here or it was in big church. I think it was in big church. But... We were dealing with suffering. I guess it was with with James, and I re, I reminded you that I go to Haiti and with my son, and that I had been asked to teach for an entire week to Haitian pastors who are all poverty stricken, that suffer hurricanes and 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 uh, earthquakes and all kinds of things. I've been asked to speak to them on suffering. What in the world? Am I going to say to them about suffering? Well, all you can do is you go to the scripture and you say what the scripture, not what I say, it's what the scripture says. And that, and that's what I did. Here in the text, when Peter speaks to suffering people and tells them it's going to be okay, it's not coming from a guy who's up in an ivory tower looking down saying, hey, you guys are going to be okay. It's from one who knew suffering himself, who had been in prison, who had been beaten, and the wor- and physically on earth, the worst is yet to come for Peter. He doesn't know the details of that yet, but the worst, he's saying, 
God's with you. It's going to be okay. Wow. That, you know, we can receive words like that a lot easier from a person who's been there than from one up in an ivory tower who has never experienced it. Now, y'all stop letting me chase rabbits. We'll never get through. Verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. We've got to stop right there. Now, let me say a few words couple of minutes, then we'll stop and pick up there next time. There's a shift in language here as now we accelerate Peter's discussion of suffering to a suffering people. There is a greater focus from here on on suffering. And so if we are facing suffering, we need encouragement. You've suffered in some way, maybe in a physical illness. It may have been the death of a loved one. No telling what it was or is. And you know how much you desire encouragement. You want somebody to say something encouraging to you. And so Peter knows that, and that's what he's doing. In verse 8, he talks about the marks of the Christian with his common focus being on Jesus. He's the one we're like. Be sympathetic toward each other. Be compassionate, particularly those who suffer. Be humble. And then in verse 9, he talks about how, how really distinctive we are when he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. You know, if somebody insults you, what is the natural, reflexive, human, fleshly thing you want to do? Give it right back to them. And maybe a little stronger than they gave it to you. Feel like you get the upper hand. Peter says, no. That goes against everything in our sinful flesh, doesn't it? And, but because we're believers and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he's saying when, when it comes at you, listen to the Spirit, not the flesh. The flesh says, well, brother, I'm going to give it right back to you. But the Spirit says, don't do that. Be humble. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, I don't know about you. I can't do that in my own flesh. Only by the power of the Spirit can I even begin to attempt to do that. It is a calling with a promise. In verse 9, he says, you may inherit a blessing. So to the unjust ruler, the harsh employer, the difficult husband, the unkind neighbor, whatever the situation may be, he's calling on us for compassion and humility, love and sympathy. Now, we're going to stop at verse 10 and pick up there next week. Peter is going to quote, uh, I'll tell you, Peter knew his Old Testament. You know, you already picked that up as we've gone along. He's going to quote from the 34th Psalm uh, as we get started next week. So um, then we're going to go on. And if you have a chance, read ahead to the end of the chapter. And if in the process of reading ahead, uh, you can get to verse 19 through the end of the chapter, and, and you're pretty sure you know what that means, then I'm, I want you to come next week and tell the rest of us. 
I'm going to quote Martin Luther next week. I had it written down for today. Martin Luther is one of my heroes. Martin Luther looks at verse 19 and through the end of the chapter and says, I have no idea what it means and neither does anybody else. <laughs> well, we'll take a stab at it, okay? We'll see what the Spirit leads us to, to understand about that text. Or I could look at Dr. Kemp or Dr. Davis and say, hey, you guys, I'm going to sit down and let you guys lead us through that passage. But needless to say, this is an interesting passage coming up. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your precious word. We love you. We love the fellowship you allowed us to have today. We ask that you help us to look like you today. Somebody may be ugly to us today. Somebody may try to hurt us today. And, and Father, if that happens, I pray that we'll respond as Jesus responded. For he is the one we love, the one who saved us, the one we adore, the one we emulate, the one we follow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you.